If you could please turn in your copy of the Holy Bible to John 17. We'll return to the high priestly prayer and consider another petition of Christ's prayer, particularly in verse 24. But I'll read the entirety of the prayer once again, that our hearts may be conditioned by the word of God to receive it as the word of life. John 17, the high priestly prayer. Let us give our attention to God's word. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, 
and I in them. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let's pray. O Lord God of heaven, we pray, O Father, that the word of God preached would be mightily blessed, that we may know the heart of Jesus Christ through it, and so may his heart be the minister's heart now by the Spirit of the Lord, that he would preach in such a way that the people of God may know the desires of their bridegroom for them, that they would be with him where he is now. Lord, would you open the hearts of the people of God that they would uh, see the desire of the Lord and that they would desire him, that they would desire him, as we heard this morning, more than sin and idolatry, that they would live their lives remembering that their life is hid with him above and that they are headed to where their heart is with Christ. Bless the preaching of the word to these ends. So let my speech and my preaching be not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that the faith of the congregation should not stand in the wisdom of men, but rather in the power of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most days, uh, I was thinking about my, my animal at home, my dog. Most days, my dog has a singular desire, uh, which is really to be where we are as a family. In fact, when the home is empty, the animal seems quite miserable. Uh, it is happy to be with us. Uh, I was thinking about all of our journeys, even across the states, whether it was in Stillwater, Oklahoma, or in Dallas, or in Kansas, or at campgrounds. The animal's happiness is found with being with us. The location doesn't matter so much as the people that it is with. If he is with us, he is happy. And if we are not with him, it doesn't matter the locale. He is miserable. For the Christian, the same ought to be true concerning themselves and the Lord. Jesus, to not be with him is to be miserable. You know, the Christian says, give me hell if hell is where Jesus Christ is. The Christian says, remove me from heaven if Christ is not found there. Because the Christian's great desire is to be with Jesus Christ. And that's really what separates the wheat from the chaff in a way. The Christian's faith is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian says, the Lord is my portion. And the Christian says that Christ is most precious to me. Come what may, it's not the world, it's not its goods. It's not even my own personal salvation. But it is that salvation is a means to communion with Christ that makes salvation so wondrous to the Christian. Without Christ, the Christian is miserable. Yet astonishingly, and maybe we understand that, but maybe something that is truly hard to grasp is something remarkable about the Lord's own heart, that he has a desire to be with us, that we would be where he is with him. You know, it's one thing for the Christian to desire to be with the Lord, but it is really utterly baffling to consider the Lord's desire to be with us. You know, in this text, what we find is he has not only done the work necessary to reconcile you to God, to bring you to himself, but he also prays as our high priest that you will be found where he is Christian. Now, were we studying Christ's work as our king, we're studying as him as our priest, we would see that he will even leverage his authority that is given to him by God as the mediator 
in order to make sure that we will be with him. He will move heaven and earth, so to speak, by his kingly power to bring us to heaven, such that there is no enemy that can keep us from coming to Christ by his kingly work. And that would be a wonderful meditation in itself. But here we're considering Christ and his intercessory work, as Robert Murray McShane exhorted us to, to consider him in, our, in his priestly role, because, and, and this is what I want us to focus on, not only is it the fact that all the prayers of Christ will be answered, right? The Father always hears him, always answers his prayers, and so whatever he prays for, for you and me, is going to come to pass, absolutely so wondrous. But another aspect of his prayer is necessary and vital. For it can be said that the prayers of a man or a woman are a window into their own heart. You know, you pray for the things that you desire most of all. Now, we have to conform our desires to the word of God, and sometimes our desires aren't right. But what a thing it is to look into Christ's own prayer, right? It's like the Holy Spirit shines a light into his heart. And he says, and he shows us that what is on Christ's heart is that you would be with him where he is. And so not only does he pray that you would be there, but his desire, his heart is for you to be there. And so as the Father always hears him, we are consoled by the fact that we who are in Christ will be with him. No question about it. What a great assurance this is of our salvation of our, and of our eternal state. If we are in Christ to know I am not headed to heaven because I have pulled myself by my own bootstraps and I am going to persevere in my own strength. But because Christ is praying that I be there, I will be there. That's a remarkable thing then to see this intercessory work of Christ. And so our theme is simple and it's based on what I've just said. Christ's prayer that we would be with him. Christ's prayer that we would be with him. And we'll consider our theme under three heads on your bulletin, glory, desire, and journey. First, glory. Let's break down verse 24, this petition, because it's quite rich. And really to meditate on every phrase that is found in this verse would be packed with meaning and days, maybe weeks and months of meditations. Men have preached several sermons just on this one verse. And so let's seek to digest this spiritual food slowly and carefully. Christ's petition begins with, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. And so on. We'll we'll stop there for a moment. Now, as I said last week, what's wonderful about John 17 is it brings many of the aspects of Christ's farewell discourse Uh, John uh, 13, uh, and following into uh, prayer. In John 13, the Lord said he would go away. You remember that. But how did he comfort his disciples? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. What does he do? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Why? That where I am, there ye may be also. See, this is what he's praying for, isn't it? You know, he's going to accomplish a work, but he's also praying that that work would be accomplished. So he doesn't just teach you the doctrine 
that he will come and take you to himself. But he prays that it would come to pass. That's what we see in our verse, that where I am, there ye may be also. And it becomes a petition. And so this is actually helpful for you as you pray. Look at the Savior's example. Bring the doctrine of the word. Take the things that are promised and pray for them, just like we did this morning, right? We, we saw the Lord said, I will give you pastors after mine own heart. So we pray for that. The Lord Jesus says, I will bring you where I am. And yet here the Lord of glory prays for it to come to pass. Well, he prayed then that you be brought to glory, Christian, that you be brought to heaven. Now, isn't that wondrous to see that that's the Lord's own prayer for you? that you will come to heaven, that you would come and reside in that place that he is preparing for you now. Now, I want you to note the defining characteristic of heaven according to the Savior. He prayed that you would be where I am, where I am, right? I've preached this to you many times. And until I'm done with my labors on the earth, I will continue to preach it because it is so necessary and vital for you to know. It's transformative for us to know what heaven truly is. You know, with real estate, what's the thing? Location, 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 right? But for heaven, it is less about location and more about the person that is there. It's more about the presence of God, the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Heaven is a setting by which we may be with God. That's what heaven is. It's a created place, as I preached not so long ago, where you can have the richest and deepest communion with God. That's what the purpose of heaven is. That's why he prays that you would be with me where I am. He wants you ultimately, Christian, to be wherever he is. Wherever Christ is, that is where he wants you to be found. There is much, children, boys and girls, there's much about heaven that is still quite mysterious to us. There are even things about the end times that we are like infants struggling to grasp. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter so much to know all the mysteries about heaven. Whatever heaven is like, what matters is we will be with Christ. Whatever heaven is like, we will be with Christ where he is. And that's the focal point of heaven. Many are speculative about heaven, but as you labor to understand the scriptures, just say, oh, but heaven is where Christ is. Everything else is secondary. You know, children, maybe you've been to a concert or something, right? Uh, when I lived in California, we uh, went to the Hollywood Bowl, and you might know about that venue. But... Um, to go to the Hollywood Bowl without the main event is rather a hollow experience, isn't it? You almost say, what's the point? It's a rather empty place. And heaven would be like that if the Lord were not there, right? Heaven is just the setting. And so we find our enjoyment of heaven being with our Christ. It would be empty and hollow without him. You know, Christ's lambs, this is one of the defining characteristics. They want to go where he is found. In Revelation 14.4, when speaking of those persecuted by papal antichrist, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Wherever Christ goes, they follow him. Right? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Right? Where's the ultimately the voice of Christ carrying us? It's carrying us to heaven. 
That's where the voice of God, the voice of Christ is taking us. We are those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And you think about this, right? Why were the hearts of the disciples in John 14 sinking so terribly? It's because they thought Jesus would go away and go away forever. When he tells them, I am going away, their heart sinks. So he says, let not your heart be troubled. I will receive you. I will come again to you and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And so in the high priestly prayer, the Lord is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. I am praying that you will be with me and that will surely come to pass because my prayers are always answered. He's praying that even now in heaven as our high priest, he prays before God that you, Christian, all the elect, name by name, will be found where he is. Now, if you're attuned to this fact about what heaven is like, Right, Many of the scriptures will be illuminated to you. For instance, as you recently heard at the communion season, remember how Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross. Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be in paradise? No, thou shalt be with me in paradise. See, paradise is with him. Now to the carnal, I mentioned this, I think, the carnal mind when they hear Christ speak, the focus is on paradise. But to the, 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 the one who is born again, the focus is on what? With me. Right? That the thief would be with Jesus is Christ's own focus because Jesus himself is paradise. That's why, right, even when we think about what the Lord will say to those he never knew, it is not just go to hell that he says, Depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Right? It's always in relation to the Lord himself. To depart from Christ ought to be the most dreadful thing in that verse to you. To think, Christian, that Christ would say, depart from me. It's almost like you don't even think about the flames of hell. You think, I will not be with my blessed Savior. That is the grief in my heart. Same thing in other places. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 through 18. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What is the focus in that verse? It is meeting the Lord. It is being with the Lord forever. And the use? Comfort one another with these words. That's where your comfort is found. I will be with the Lord forever. Does your soul need comfort, Christian? If you have faith in the Lord, say, oh, my soul, I will ever be with the Lord. And that's all the comfort that we need. Whatever happens in this life, come what may, I know my lasting inheritance. I will always be with Jesus. There will be unbroken communion with Christ in the paradise of God, with the one who loves my soul unbroken fellowship. What will that be like to be in the presence of a love that gave himself for me on the cross? To be in the presence of pure and radiant love of a kind that you will never know on the earth? What will that be like, Christian? To be in the presence of one who though he is God, 
and took on the form of a servant, laid down his life for you in love and is praying even now that you be with him forever. Love incarnated. It's an astonishing meditation, really. And that's what makes paradise as a locale really fade to the background when you understand the glory of the one who is there as the center and the light of it. And that's what Christ indicates in this petition, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. Now, this is something really wondrous, right? Christ wants you to see his glory. His glory is in many ways was veiled on the earth. He wants you to have a sight of him with all of his glory and all of his splendor. And that really ought to be our burning desire too. And have you desired that for yourself? That I would desire to see Christ in all of his glory and all of his splendor. Right? That's really the heart of the Christian. Oh, I cannot wait. Like what is, what is heaven about for you, Christian? It ought to be this. I cannot wait to see Christ in all of his glory. In all of his splendor, I see him as in a glass darkly now, but then face to face. And I can't wait for that, to see my Jesus in his splendor and majesty. You sing in Psalm 45, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. Right? This is what we say. We pant and long to see the glory of the Lord even to speak of what we know of it now. We read in the Song of Solomon, the fifth chapter, when we are lovesick, thinking on His glory, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set, and so on and so forth, until you hit the crescendo of that text. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, He is altogether lovely. The Christian grows lovesick thinking of the glory of Jesus Christ that is to be revealed to them. They, they can't wait to see it. And the Savior can't wait to show you his glory. Christ prays that it would come to pass. For to behold his glory, in fact, I mentioned this in the beatific vision, will actually glorify you. Right? He, he will totally glorify you. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be like him when we see him as he is. Now, there's no doubt in these texts, right? The word shall. We shall see him as he is. Why? Because Christ is praying that you would see his glory. So you shall see his glory, Christian. There's no doubt in 1 John. There's no doubt in John 17. And I'll remind you that it is the Lamb of God who is the light of heaven. Revelation 21, 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The splendor of God shines through the mediator who is the Lamb of God. There are great and heavenly things that await us. Christian, and these are the things, these are the things we focus on when it comes to heaven. And that's what Christ prays for on your behalf, believer, that you would have this. Now, so in other words, what you're going to have in heaven, this presence, the, the, the presence of Christ is no wishful thing. 
It's no fanciful thing. It's not something you say, I I hope, like the world says, I hope I will be in heaven. If your faith is in the Lord, you will be in heaven. And he even prays to guarantee it to you in addition to purchasing it for you. That is what biblical hope is. You will be with him. And that is certain. Have you ever thought on that? Have you said that to yourself? I will be in heaven and I will behold the glory of the Savior. He says, you will behold my glory. Now, when he says that, there's something really wondrous about the word he uses. He uses the word behold. He doesn't say you will believe in my glory. You will behold my glory. And he's also saying then that one day faith will make way to sight of him. Right now you see him, so to speak, through faith. You walk by faith and not by sight. You love him though you have not seen him, as Peter said. But one day the veil is torn. The blinders are removed. And faith and hope go away. And what does abide? What abides forever? Charity or love. And you will see him face to face with your own eyes. As Job said, I will see him with my own eyes. I will not see him by faith any longer. Faith makes way for sight and hope will make way for possession. Augustine says on this verse, he says not that they may believe. It is the reward of faith which he speaks of, not faith itself. What is the reward of all of the faith that the Lord gave you, that you exercised? Believing on the Lord when it is hard, obeying the Lord when it is difficult, trusting, walking by faith and not by sight. What is the reward for your faith? It is to see him. It will be to see him one day. No longer needing faith, but to see him face to face, the Jesus that I have loved, though I had not seen. And he prays then that you would be rewarded for your faith on the earth, that you would see him, that you would behold him. Have you ever thought on that as really the primary reward, if you want to use the word reward? We're not meriting anything, understand, it's a gift. But have you ever thought on the reward of your faith being a sight of Jesus? That's really the best reward you could have, isn't it? These are the things that the Christian longs for. He told Abraham, the man of faith, I am thy exceeding great reward, Genesis 15. Now Christ supplies a reason for why the Father should answer him. He prayed, for thou hast loved me from before the foundation of the world. Now this is the argument that the Lord uses as to why you should be with him. And uh, without getting too technical, this is Jesus speaking of himself as the mediator, uh, as he is in most of the prayer. This is not of the essential love between Father and Son as God, but of the love that the Father has for Jesus as the God-man mediator uh, before the human nature of Christ was even conceived. He had loved Christ, the human nature, uh, from eternity past. He has loved the mediator from eternity past, just as he has loved you from before the foundation of the world in Christ as well. Now, the argument then that Christ brings is, bring them to glory, Father, that they may behold the glory that thou hast given me because thou hast loved me, and in me thou hast loved them, because they are in me, right? You love the Son, you love those that are in me, 
because he brings to God those he prays for are those whom the thou, the Father, has given me. So the Father has given us to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2.13 makes this clear. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. So the Father loves Christ and the Father loves us and he has given us to Christ. So the prayer is, bring these children to me that are thine own. So in every way, then, this prayer is going to be answered, right? He loves us in Christ. He loves Christ. He loves the prayers of Christ. How will he not answer his son's prayers? There's a whole chain of argumentation here that the Lord deftly brings in prayer on our behalf. So there's no doubt that what Jesus prays for is being answered even now and that you There's no doubt that you will be there with him. Well, with that said, let's go to our second heading, which is desire. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time on what I mentioned in our introduction, that men pray for what they desire. Men pray for what they desire. It's clear in your own heart, I trust. So what we find in our Lord's prayer is remarkable, that it is the desire of the Lord that we be with him. And this is a meditation that really should fill the rest of your life. That the Lord desires you to be with him, Christian. The verse begins with, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Now the word will in the underlying Greek expresses desire or want. Desire or want. Think of the sentiment, maybe you could um, express the sentiment this way. Father, I want them to be here with me. Father, I want them to be here with me. Now think of the Son of God praying in that way. Father, I want them here with me. This is the prayer of the Son of God. Is that first not an astonishing thought that he wants you with him, Christian? In fact, I think if you would look at salvation through that prism, through that lens, It would change much of your affections towards the Savior and your walk with him. Your salvation, in other words, I've said this before, but it is a necessary reminder. Your salvation is a means to an end, and that end is communion with the Lord himself. You are saved that you may have communion with God, and that is the Lord's own desire for you. You see that throughout the Bible that God desires communion with his people from the garden where he walks with Adam to the tabernacle where he dwells in the midst of the people of God to the incarnation where the son of God comes to tabernacle amongst us to the end of the Bible itself where the heavenly marriage of Revelation 21 says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That is the desire of the Lord. And this is the aim of salvation, to have communion with God restored. If you think of your salvation as merely a get-out-of-hell-free card, you don't understand the Lord. And you don't understand what He is doing in your salvation. It's not merely a means to, to avoid fire and eternal damnation. Yes, true. But it has a higher and a more elevated purpose that you commune with Him. And you be with him forever. You see the Lord's desire in many ways. I'll just give you one. The final Passover. We remember that the Savior said to his disciples in Luke twenty-two fifteen, with desire, that word is craving. I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
His desire is not to eat the meal, so to speak, but to be with them before he suffers. He has a desire to be with his beloved people, the ones he laid down his life for. What a thing it is to hear from the Savior's own heart and mouth in prayer, I want to be with them. I want to be with you. When you remember the marital relationship between Christ and his church this morning, can you not understand why the bridegroom says, I want my bride to be with me? A man ought to desire that his wife be with him, and Christ desires that his wife be with him. And what the son desires, this is the wondrous thing, right? The father, does he not delight to answer the son? Whatever the son asks for, the father gives him. Christ asks for the nations. The Father gives him the nations and delights to do it. Christ asks that we be one. The Father will delight to give him that too. Christ asks that his bride would be with him and the Father will grant that as well. You will be with him then and there's no doubt about it. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Whatever day is appointed for your own death, Christian, If you believe on the Lord, you will be with him. Because the Father always hears his prayers. You know, this is the kind of doctrine that deepens our assurance of salvation, doesn't it? To not just think that I persevere on my own. No, the prayers of Christ are booing me towards heaven. The desire of Christ is to be with him. And the prayer of Christ is for it as well. Is it any wonder that McShane said he needed a personal resolution to study the intercessory work of Christ? To add to this, Christ brings forth a reminder in his petition that the elect are those whom thou, that is the Father, hath given me. So Christian, the Father has chosen you in Christ. The Father has, you can think of it this way, chosen you to be wed to Christ from before the foundation of the world. He has said, this one will be wed to my son, just as it was God who brought Eve to Adam in the garden. He has brought each and every believer here to his son to be, uh, as we heard this morning, he maybe used a minister to do it, to espouse you to Christ, to wed you to Christ. It is God the Father who has done this to the, for you. You know, so being with Christ is also not simply co-location with Christ. We have to get that out of the way. As the bride of Christ, you are given the presence of Christ to be wed to him forever in the most intimate bond imaginable. What extraordinary things there are in the word of God to open and behold. So you have to recognize it is not just the father's, uh, the son's will that you be with him. It is the father's will as well. It is the Holy Ghost's will as well. These three have an undivided singular will in all of this. And so if God, think of it this way, if God is for this petition, who can stand against it? None. None can. It will be answered. But you might ask, can I know that I am among the number that will be with Christ? The answer is yes. Infallibly so, praise God. You can know you're headed to Christ. Now you can open up our Confession of Faith, chapter 18, which speaks of many ways in which you can know that you are his and his forever. But let me consider John 6, 
verse 37 through 40. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. Now I want you, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to say this kind of thing to your soul. If I have come to Jesus Christ and have put faith in him, what can you say? What can you say? The Father sent me to him. I was sent by the Father to Christ. And what else? What is the logical chain then? If I have been given to him by the Father, Christ will in no wise cast me out. I will never be cast out. And this is the will of God, that I should not be lost, but I be raised up on that last day, that I will have eternal life and I will be with Jesus himself. And so one of the wondrous things about knowing you have faith in the Lord Jesus is to know that this was not your work. This was the Father's work. This is the Son's work. This is the Holy Spirit's work. It is God's work. And because faith is not your own, but it is the gift of God to you, you can say for sure, if I have saving faith in the Lord with all the saving evidences that come with it, then I can know that I will be with Christ forever. Because God sent me to Christ. So you praise God if you have saving faith. So let us marvel then, Christian, that he wants us with him. That's his desire here. And you see, it's the, the total will of the, the entire Godhead if you are in Christ. And that really should overshadow all the trials and travails and temptations of our life as we head to him. Well, in that, let us conclude with our final heading, which is journey. Now, the question is, and I want to consider it briefly tonight, because I think this leads into another sermon, and maybe I'll, I'll preach another portion here just for time's sake. But if Christ is praying that you would be at his side, how should that inform the life that you now live in this world. I think several things could be said of it. I'll say just a few things tonight. The first is, and I've touched on this, put away any anxieties that you will be in heaven. Put away any anxieties that you will get to heaven. The Son of God prays for you, so you must not doubt if you are a Christian that you will be there. Every providence, every trial, every temptation is leading you to heaven. And that's what you must say. In this, the Son of God is praying, no matter how difficult this is, that I will be in heaven. Every providence then is not leading you away from heaven, but because Christ is interceding for you, every providence is just another step on the way to heaven. Uh, we consider this briefly in Psalm 136 on Wednesday night, so I won't belabor the point. You know, this is why uh, I have to believe one of the reasons why that John Knox on the deathbed wanted John 17 read to him over and over again because Christ is praying in verse 24 that John Knox would be where Christ is presently. And if Christ is praying for that on the deathbed for his saints, then they will get to heaven. And let me just say pastorally, this is going to be quite necessary for us to remember on the deathbed. 
Because it is especially on the deathbed that Satan will do a lot of to bring mischief into your soul, to make you wonder whether you are going to God. And in that moment, you have to say, well, it is the Son of God. You think about um, how the Lord Jesus prayed that uh, Peter's faith fail not, even as Satan desired to have him, right? Even in the midst of that struggle on the deathbed with Satan seeking to sift you, perhaps most viciously in that moment, you have to say, Jesus Christ is praying that I will be with him where he is. And it is the Son of God's prayers that will prevail. And it's not Satan's. And what the Son desires, he will have, and I will be found at his side. And that is where my assurance is. All in the work and the prayers and intercessory work of Jesus Christ. That's where all my assurance must be on the deathbed. You know, in the Scots Worthies, David Dixon is quoted as saying on his own deathbed, you probably know it well, I have taken all my good deeds and all my bad deeds and have cast them together in a heap before the Lord and have fled from both to Jesus Christ. And in him have I sweet peace. It's not my good works that will take me there. It's the Son of God, his prayers and his work. Second, remember you live for the one who loved you and gave himself for you. And so the world here is crucified to you and you to the world. You, you live for the Lord because that's where you're going. You're going to be with him. You're not going to be in this present evil age. You're going to be with him. And so the world must be crucified to you and you to the world. Your life is hid with Christ above where he is taking you to himself. That's why your life is hid there. Your life is secure there. Your life is not here. Your life is at his side. And that is where your life will be for eternity. What are these 70, 80 years if you even have that many in view of your life lived in eternity? Your heart is meant to be where he is. And so even in this present world, you will get a foretaste of heaven and being with him if you will go wherever he is found. And that has to be our desire as we walk as pilgrims. Right? Where do you find him most of all? In the ordinances he has given us. The word, prayer, sacrament. Right? These are means towards communion with the Lord himself, aren't they? And if we ever stop thinking of them in that way, it is when they become dry and boring and useless to our soul. By faith, we recognize he is here right now in the public meeting. He is here right now. When our soul is engaged with Christ and his ordinances, what can we say but our soul is in heaven itself? The more we are sanctified, the more we recognize that in this life. And then when our soul is engaged in heaven, it doesn't matter what happens on the earth. We may be persecuted for righteousness' sake. We may be in, uh, undergoing trials. We may have uh, great distresses. Our home may be lost. It may be burned down. Whatever the hard providence is, our heart is safe with the Savior. doesn't matter because our heart is with him in heaven. And they can burn my body, but they can't touch my soul. And it is safe and secure with him. If my arm is chopped off for being a Christian, that is a very hard providence. But my heart is safe with the Savior. This is why men like Polycarp can go to the fire. And his only thought is to not disgrace his Lord. Because his heart is with his Lord. Third, 
follow Christ wherever he goes, and you will do so if your heart is with him. To obey his word is to follow him, isn't it, children? It is to go where he is going. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, what's transformative, I think, about that text is if you think about the destination of that path, being where Christ is himself. It's not disassociated from the person of Christ. His word is going to lead you on that path that leads to himself. And so if you have a desire to be with him, go where the lamb goes, especially on the Lord's day, spend time with the Lord. You are destined to be with him after all. His desire is that you be with him. What is your desire? Are you like our dog who cannot help but be with his master? Or are you, are you not interested at all in following the Lord? Check your own desire for him, knowing his desire for you. In your religion, in all of its activity, find the motive as being with Jesus. Why do we hate sin? Because our sin has caused separation with him. So put away sin to be with Christ. Obedience to the Lord is to walk with the Lord very closely. And so we obey because we seek that close communion with Christ. In worship, we find ourselves, as we heard last week, with Martha at the feet of Jesus Christ. And we're there because we want to be with him. And so worship is not a chore, but it is our joy. We seek to be discipled by the word of God. Why? To sit with him a while. We pray that we would come into the presence of the Lord to find times of refreshment and to speak a while with him. So we pray out of a desire to be with him as well. Why do we fast? We fast to put away the world and to focus our energy, our, our body and our soul on the Lord Jesus. We say in these things, there is none upon the earth that we desire but him. We think of the Sabbath day and we say, let me spend a day with Christ and the day is a delight. So fourth, I think we'll close with this for time's sake. Spend your time beholding Christ and contemplating him. You know, that's what eternity is. This is a launch off of something I've said um, a couple of weeks ago. But um, yes, we see him as through a glass darkly now by faith, but we can see him by faith. It's not going to be as pure. It's not going to be as glorious as when we will be at his side, as when we will see him face to face. That sight will transform us, yes. But even now, to behold the Lord is good for us. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Go to the scripture to behold your Lord. Go to the scripture to behold your Lord. Meditate on the scripture to contemplate your Lord. Sit under preaching to know your Lord better and to hear his voice and to not just leave unaffected, but to meditate on the word that you heard, whether it's in your private devotions, it's in the public meeting or in family worship or whatever. Contemplate who it is you know in the Bible. Your meditation of him is to be sweet, as the word of God says. You will spend your time thinking on him and on his perfections. 
Then as you journey as pilgrims through this world, seeing yourselves as pilgrims through this world, you see that the destination is no place on the globe, but it is with Christ himself. And so that will change how you deal with goods, how you deal with loss, how you deal with gain, how you deal with friends, betrayal, everything. You will see what your destination truly is and you will say um, to lose things for the Lord is really great gain. And you will see that your perseverance as well is because Christ is praying for you most of all. And he is taking us to the home that he has prepared for you in love. I go to prepare a place for you. What is that going to be but a, a world of love where you will enjoy the Lord forever? in a dwelling place that is perfectly suited for communion with the Lord. These are wondrous things to think of, that even that setting that he prepares is designed in every possible way that you would be with him in the most intimate and close ways for all eternity. Well, I do not know if I'll preach another sermon anytime soon on the intercessory work of Christ. With our brother coming, we'll see what the preaching schedule is like. But over the last few weeks, I hope in these three sermons that you have been encouraged to study the intercessory work of Jesus. Because the prayers of the Lord will be a great help to your own soul. Never neglect his prayers and how he is drawing himself, uh, yourself to him. So again, as we end, is the aim of your salvation to avoid hell? No, not really. Is the aim of your salvation to be found in heaven? No, not fully. The aim of your salvation is to be with Christ. And remarkably, that is his own desire, which is why you will have it, and it is his own prayer for you. And may that thought recalibrate and reorient your walk with the Lord in this life. Amen. May God bless our meditation on his word. Let us arise for prayer if able. O gracious God of heaven, how we thank thee, Lord, for all the many mercies of God, most of all to know that Christ is praying for us. And we're thankful that none whom he prays for will ever be lost. We're thankful, O God, to know that Jesus Christ wants us to be with him where he is, that we may behold his glory, the glory of the Lord. O Lord, put this uh, burning desire in us that we would be where he is and that we might behold the radiant splendor of our Savior. And may these thoughts banish then sin out of our lives. And may these thoughts and uh, true meditations then cause us to walk as pilgrims on the way, that we would um, find one thing as our great desire above all, that it would be Christ himself. O Lord, we know the Lord prays such things for us, so answer his prayers, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.